On this show of St. Louis in Tune, we're going to return to civility. We have Kristen Wild. She is the president and CEO of Operation Food Search, is going to be talking with us. What is the difference between patriotism and nationalism? Our word of the day and humor, if we have time. Greetings, listeners in Listenerland. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, government, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from and connect the Gateway City to what is happening regionally, nationally, and internationally. A hot day for you, Mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And nothing like that summer day in st louis uh, the humidity actually the humidity hasn't been too bad this year i want to say yeah this morning it was pretty thick yeah yeah which is bad early yeah yeah but i'm doing pretty good but are you doing well you doing well i'm doing fine you Thank look you. fine i appreciate that yeah looking handsome and healthy oh wow yeah. i need to be talking to you more often <laughs> <laughs> Our return to civility, folks, a speed of laughter project by John Sweeney. If you eat a meal at someone else's house, clear the table for them when everyone's finished. Do it without being asked. Even if you only get one place cleared before the host stops you, still make an effort and be persistent. Wow. That's a really good thing to do. Oh, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Makes you part of the family for me. That's correct. I know. When we've really worked to get all this food done, all the least you could do is pick it up and take it over to the sink. Yeah. Maybe even put it in the dishwasher. Oh, yeah. hey. No, don't. Oh. Or empty the dishwasher. That's another good yeah. one. <laughs> so if you eat a meal at someone else's yeah. house, clear the table for them when everyone's finished. But before you even do that, mm-hmm. you need to make sure that Operation Food Search ah. has food. Oh. And Kristen Weil, who's president and CEO, is here to talk to us about Operation Food Search. Kristen, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you, Arnold and Mark. Appreciate it. Now, a little background of you. I wanted to mention you have a, an extensive background in education, but you've been named the 2021 Most Influential Businesswoman by the St. Louis Business Journal, oh. and that's not because of anything except your business savvy and your involvement in helping the community. Uh, what you're doing at Operation Food Search is nothing short of something that is badly needed in every community. So congratulations to you for that award, but for even more for continuing the mission of Operation Food Search. Would you let listeners know what that mission is? Absolutely. Th- thank you for the kind words. It definitely was not anything accomplished single-handedly. We have a wonderful team here at Operation Food Search and a wonderful community that helps move our mission forward. So our mission is to heal hunger with innovative and collaborative solutions that provide food today and help create a hunger-free tomorrow. Mm. Good. So to say that again, Sure. We heal hunger with innovative and collaborative solutions that provide food today and help create a hunger-free tomorrow. Mm. So, so we oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say we're really focused on today on meeting the immediate need for people who don't have sufficient food, but we're also focused on that 
longer-term, hunger-free tomorrow, looking for solutions that really address the root causes of hunger. Mm. I think that's really important because I think people are familiar with maybe giving the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts Mm -hmm. canned food Mm -hmm. items or non-perishable items, and people are familiar with food pantries. So talk about the difference between a food bank and a food pantry so people can distinguish between those things. Good question. Yeah, so a food bank typically acquires through donations or purchases food and then distributes it to food pantries. So we work with close to 200 organizations consisting of homeless shelters, church pantries, transitional homes, community centers. We collect the food from grocery stores, from event venues, restaurants, local farms, other companies, people's food drives. We collect all that food. In some cases, we purchase it, and then we distribute to the other partners in the community that are the food pantries and other organizations. So they are really, the food pantries are on the front lines and actually doing the direct distribution of the food that is is collected and distributed by those food banks. You're a supply chain. We are, yes. We're right in the middle of it. (laughs) So we've got, that's why collaboration is a key part of our mission statement because we are collaborating with the food donors on the one end and we're collaborating with the community partners on the other end to make sure that the food is reaching the people who need it. So how many restaurants are involved in the, what I would call, the, the cooked food that would probably, I'm guessing, would probably go to homeless shelters and things like that? How many restaurants in the areas are involved in that? And if those restaurant people are listening, how can they get involved with that? Yes, absolutely. So we have restaurants that can contribute either unused ingredients or prepared food. Now, a lot of our pantries aren't able to distribute prepared food because they're just not equipped to do it, but we do have several of our partners who can, and those are typically more like the homeless shelters mm-hmm. that where people want to come in and pick up a prepared meal to eat mm-hmm. right on the spot or off-site. And so we work with a couple dozen restaurants to get that prepared food. We also work with places like the Enterprise Center and the new St. Louis City Stadium, the soccer stadium, um, to receive prepared food that we can then turn around and distribute. But then we also work with restaurants on special campaigns. In fact, we've got one coming up called Tomato Explosion, uh, the month of July, where, again, we've got a couple dozen restaurants that actually create a tomato-inspired dish on their menu, and then anytime anybody orders it in the month of July, then we, are, we receive some portion of the proceeds from the restaurant. So that's another way that the restaurants contribute to us. And then we also participate in a program called Gift-A-Meal, and there are dozens and dozens of restaurants in the St. Louis region that can participate in this program, which is an app where if people download the app and they take a photo of the meal that they eat at a participating gift-a-meal restaurant, 
then there is a donation made to Operation Food Search. So that way we're, restaurants can contribute in a variety of ways, whether it's financially or with food donations themselves. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It is amazing. The logistics to coordinate all that together. And I think one of the things that surprised me was I knew Operation Food Search was a St. Louis-based, and I knew they took care of the surrounding area. But, Mark, I didn't know this. 42 counties in Missouri and Illinois. Wow. Yeah. And, and Kristen, I'd like for you to give us a little history of Operation Hmm. Food Search because folks need to understand the depth of the support that this organization has had since its inception. Sure. So we, were, we started in the late 70s with a group of, well, it was really a coalition of Catholic, Protestant, and Jewish faiths. And this group of individuals went in search of food and actually approached the Deerberg family, an office above one of the stores, and asked if the food that was unused by the grocery store could be donated in order to feed people because in a lot of cases it was donated to feed animals and so it was like there's a lot of this is wonderful food why not feed our fellow citizens exactly so that actually it was it started out as the st louis united hunger effort and they worked Mm. for a couple of years and then in 1981 incorporated and formed officially Operation Food Search. So we've been around for more than 40 years, and since that time, we've really worked tirelessly to fill a vital need in the community, but also over those decades adapted to have additional programs that went beyond meeting that immediate need. Go ahead, Mark. How do you distribute? So you said you had over 200 food pantries and that do you distribute or do the food pantries come to you and pick up the food how does that work yes that's a great question in some cases the agencies the community food sites come to operation food search they have an assigned day monday through friday where they will come in during some window of time that they're assigned or they select and they'll pick up food and they'll take it back to their site Mm. In other cases, we have arrangements with grocery stores throughout the region. We work with Deerbergs and Straubs and Schnooks, mm-hmm. and store or the agencies themselves will have a name tag showing they're affiliated with Operation Food Search. They'll have a iPad to track donations, and they will go directly to the grocery store itself to pick up food donations to take back. And we do that in situations where it makes more sense rather than having the food come to us and then the agency come pick it up from us. If it's a store that's in close proximity, they Mm -hmm. just go directly to the store. It's under our umbrella Mm -hmm. um, and everything gets tracked through Operation Food Search. But that's how things work in that situation. And then there are, we actually have a set of volunteers in the St. Charles area Hmm. where in that case some of the volunteers go and pick up 
in particular, meat from Schnucks and soon-to-be Deerberg's locations. They'll pick up from the stores and deliver to the agencies. So it's really a whole combination of how we get the food to the agencies. Kristen, I just uh, coming to the front of my head here is expired food. I, I don't. So I guess Deerberg's was going to throw it out, give it to animals or what have you. Is that food that is expired and can you maybe speak to that is it really expired when that expired date on that package or is it uh you can we use it for a while even after the expired date yes another great question in a lot of situations the date that is on that food is a sell-by date and that is not the date that the food goes bad and shouldn't be eaten beyond it So there's a difference between the sell-by date and the use-by date. And in many situations, even the use-by date, depending on what it is, is really just guidance about when the food is going to be most flavorful, Mm. but it doesn't necessarily become dangerous or unhealthy. Um, So it can still be consumed, especially in the case of, say, a box of cereal. Uh, You can eat cereal for days, weeks beyond that that date that may be listed on the box. Mm -hmm. It might not be as crunchy. It might not be as flavorful, but you're not going to get sick from it. It is perfectly good food. And so it just really depends on the type of food. Now with dairy, we need to be a little more cautious with expiration Mm -hmm. dates. And with meat, it, it depends if the meat is raw or if it's frozen Mm. if it's frozen then it can be kept for really up to a year Mm. past that date that is is listed wow that's pretty good it is yeah yes and it really there's so much food waste in our country and in our world and i think a lot of it is due to concern about those Mm -hmm. expiration dates definitely we're hoping more people will learn more about the reality of of what those dates mean that's a good way to put it reality i think that's what it is especially if the item has never been opened either come on it's yeah it's not bad don't throw it away (laughs) maybe if it's a year or two past expiration you might want to question that but that's usually good food nutritional food that'll help someone Yeah. yeah Right, absolutely. Yeah. Mr. Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. We're talking to Kristen Wild, President and CEO of Operation Food Search. And Kristen, there's a term that people may not be familiar with, and I'd like for you to talk about it a little bit. It's food insecurity. Mm. And I think a lot of times we think of people who are in need of food or nutrition or people who are down on their luck or people who are homeless. We're talking maybe about seniors also or large families who have maybe lost jobs, things like that. What is food insecurity? So food insecurity is the lack of consistent access to enough food to live an active and healthy life. So it is different than hunger is really more of a, a physical sensation of not having enough food in your stomach. So you or I may be experience hunger on any given day as we approach mealtime and we haven't yet eaten, but that's different than food insecurity. And like you mentioned, food insecurity is related to not having enough resources in order to purchase the food that it takes to really consistently 
eat healthily and eat in a way that you can have a, a, a productive life. So how does Missouri rate with national or what are some numbers to give people an idea of how many people in the St. Louis area, what percentage have this food insecurity situation? Yes. Yeah, so nationally, food insecurity is at about 10%. Missouri's rate is higher at about 15%. But in some of the areas where we serve, it's even higher. And you're right, it affects seniors, it affects full families, children. The statistic right now for children that in the areas where we serve, it's about one in six kids is at risk of hunger and facing food insecurity. So it's a really significant issue. And a lot of times people assume, oh, it only happens in certain neighborhoods in the city. But that is <clears throat> not the case. It happens, and that's why we're serving in 42 counties throughout Missouri and Illinois, because it happens in every single county in this metropolitan area to, to greater and lesser extents. But people who you might not even realize may be facing food insecurity, neighbors down the road, classmates of your kids at school, people who you work with. A lot of times there's stigma attached to being food insecure, mm -hmm. so people don't necessarily admit that they need help. But unfortunately, it's those people maybe going home from school or going home from work and not knowing when their next meal is going to be on the table. So is there a particular time that's more prevalent where there's food insecurity than others throughout the year? Summer is a pretty difficult time for a lot of families because there are a lot of children in our country who are able to access breakfast and lunch through the USDA's program through their schools. And so during the summer months, families are having to come up with the food and the resources to feed the kids that might get fed during the week throughout the school year. So I'd say summer is particularly difficult. We specifically have a summer meals program where we provide free meals to kids up to age 18 when about a little over 40 different locations this summer. And we partner with organizations like the St. Louis County Library, St. Louis City Library, St. Charles County Library, and community sites to provide a meal that is completely free for those kids Monday through Friday, so they're able to get a, a meal similar to what they might get at school out in the community. Now, I know that you have done, your strategies to complete the mission are varied, and I on the website you have three pillars that you talk about that align with uh, alleviating the food security, insecurity, which we've talked about, and helping to heal hunger. And we've already talked about part of one of them, once meet the immediate need, then building some nutrition IQ, and then champion change. We've talked about dis distribution, but talk about a, a little each of those pillars. So to give 
listeners a flavor as to how they can also become involved with the mission of Operation Food Search and what they can look for out in the community. Yes. Yeah, I th- we've talked mainly about our pillar, Meet the Immediate Need. So in addition to that food that we're distributing to our agency, our community partners, and providing the summer meals, another, a couple other programs that fall within our Meet the Immediate Need pillar are our Operation Backpack Program, which provides kids food for the weekend throughout the school year. We distributed over half a million meals this last fiscal year um, so that kids could have that food over school breaks as well as weekends. We also have an after-school meal program that provides really super snacks or almost like a a small dinner Mm -hmm. uh, during the after-school hours to help kids stay focused and active throughout the afternoon and the evening. And then we have our Metro Market program, which is our mobile grocery store that travels to areas with limited access to grocery stores and fresh foods. And so that's another way. In, in that program, people are actually purchasing groceries, a lot of locally sourced foods, a lot of produce, and they're purchasing them at or below cost on basically this traveling farmer's market. So those are the ways that we meet the immediate need. And then our second pillar is Build Nutrition IQ. And and with this pillar, we're really trying to provide skills and information to help families and individuals change their, really change their knowledge and behavior so they have better health outcomes. Um, And this pillar includes our nutrition education classes, cooking demonstrations, we do grocery store tours, recipe sampling. We've got a lot of resources on our website that where people can go and they can get recipes, they can get tips on seasonal shopping, shopping for protein, produce, even how to set up a kitchen or a pantry to get the most for your money. So that pillar, that Build Nutrition IQ, is really focused on skill building for Mm -hmm. people. And then our third pillar is, we call it Champion Change, and this is where we do our work, our policy and advocacy work. We work on advocating for policies help families put food on the table. There are, we're pretty active with going to Jefferson City throughout the legislative session, January through May, working with policymakers state in the state and even nationally to impact whether it's things to do with SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, with WIC, which is designed for women, infants, and children, even programs such as the Summer Meals Program, There's a lot of policy surrounding that about how people can access the food and the time of day they can get and things like that. So we're always looking at how to improve policies to help people access food. And then also in that champion change pillar, we have a set of what we call food is medicine programs 
that are programs specifically designed to provide food resources as well as education to improve health outcomes. We really appreciate the work that you and Operation Food Search are doing to help not only our local community, but counties around Missouri and Illinois for families that are struggling with things like this. And those three pillars are completely, from my perspective, are meeting what your mission is. And folks, I encourage you to get involved with Operation Food Search. It's operationfoodsearch.org. Kristen, we got about 30 seconds. Do you have some kind of closing an elevator speech that you would give to encourage people who are listening out there to get involved in what you're doing. Sure, thank you. Visit operationfoodsearch.org. People can get involved. They can support the mission by making a financial donation, by donating food, by volunteering. We've got tons of volunteer opportunities. And simply becoming an advocate and following our various social media channels and spreading the word about food insecurity and how people can get involved. It's a great group. Kristen Wild, President and CEO of Operation Food Search. Kristen, thanks very much for coming on St. Louis in Tune. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Kristen. Take care. Wow. What a great, great group. Oh, yeah. We're going to be right back. We'll come back for our next segment. Want to fill people in with that, but you're listening to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston on the U.S. Radio Network. St. Louis In Tune strives to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories and interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. Our topics cover a wide range, such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and even sports. And that's just to name a few. While St. Louis In Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we connect to what is going on nationally as well. If you enjoy what you hear, please take time and and share and subscribe to this show and listen to other previous shows that can be found on our website, stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. Or on your favorite podcast platform, that's stlintune.com. stlintune.com. And if you've got an idea that you'd like for us to examine a little deeper, let us know by dropping us a note at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis in Tune, heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the U.S. and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website again is stlintune. This is Arnold Stricker of St. Louis in Tune on behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation. In 1857, the Dred Scott decision was a major legal event and catalyst that contributed to the Civil War. The decision declared that Dred Scott could not be free because he was not a citizen. The 14th Amendment, also called the Dred Scott Amendment, granted citizenship to all born or naturalized here in our country and was intended to overturn the U.S. Supreme Court decision on July 9, 1868. 
the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation is requesting a commemorative stamp to be issued from the U.S. Postal Service to recognize and remember the heritage of this amendment by issuing a stamp with the likeness of the man Dred Scott. But we need your support and the support of thousands of people who would like to see this happen. To achieve this goal, we ask you to download, sign, and share the one-page petition with others. To find the petition, please go to dreadscottlives.org and click on the Dred Scott Petition Drive on the right side of the page. On behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, this has been Arnold Stricker of St. Louis in Tune. Folks, Arnold's doing the moonwalk over in the corner there. I can visualize myself doing that. <laughs> this is St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston. Welcome back, folks. Mark, Operation Food Search, what a great organization. Oh, yeah. They just are, they're, they're there, they're doing stuff, but you don't see and hear uh, a lot of them. No. I had a question I wanted to ask her about produce. She had just touched on it briefly, but the food pantries that I've seen, I don't see a lot of produce. That's true. Um, and I know... It's tough to do that. It is tough to do that. I don't know how to even tell the story. I've got so many stories, but when I left being mayor of Maplewood, I went up to Pine Lawn and a couple of the cities up there, mm-hmm. and I met with the mayors, and we talked about derelict buildings and clearing them and making making community gardens that would mm-hmm. grow vegetables and right. things, and a lot of the mayors found that it's just a problem with getting the neighbors engaged in watering them, taking care of them. So if you tear down a couple of buildings that were dilapidated and couldn't be repaired, you'd have a nice empty lot, be a nice place to put a, a community garden up and make some some of the stuff available. And that just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't feasible. No, it wasn't. And a lot of the mayors that I talked to in North St. Louis City, or county rather, it was the same thing is that there's not many grocery stores mm-hmm. uh the nutrition is an issue mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of fast food restaurants or other restaurants that are salt heavy mm-hmm. and to get produce which is healthy is almost impossible right in those areas they're just like deserts of no produce and uh, there i guess there was a a young man out of Washington University took an old school bus, put a bunch of produce on it. We interviewed him. Yes, and he went up around in there. Yeah, probably. That's prob- that Metro Market. And, and he and he, they actually go to libraries because it's libraries mm-hmm. have become like community centers uh-huh. again. And I don't yeah, and I don't know if he's still doing it though. I, that individual is not. He's passed that on to someone else. Okay, someone else is doing it though. But it's still going on. Okay. Matter of fact, that Metro Market was down here at the International Institute. I'll be darned. Uh, a couple okay. weeks ago, I believe. That's probably the, and it's sad, it's great and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's probably the only real outlet to help folks get fresh produce, I right. think. Unless I, you, yeah. like you said, unless you're planting and taking mm-hmm. care of your own garden. Yeah. Or going to, getting transportation to go to a more mm-hmm. prominent market that, right. And even there, the produce is sometimes not very good. And we were in one of our radio stations here in our cluster, whatever you want to call it, was involved in a ministry that had a food bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they 
I can tell you, they gave away a lot of food. You know, and they even worked on the refrigerated food. Right. And, but I never saw a lot of produce. Never, ever. Yeah. Which was tough. It is, because it, it perishes. It does. The, quickly. It's it does perishable. Perish quickly. Okay. So that's what I have. That's what I, that was my final question to No, that's, uh, I, that's something to think about, that maybe when you're, and you see somebody in need, Mm-hmm. that maybe those kinds of items would be more appropriate mm-hmm. than canned food items. Right. If you're going to a pantry, because everybody always wants to have fresh fruit or right. vegetables right. or things like that, right. but it right. doesn't happen sometimes. Yep. Yep. Okay. want to jump to our word of the day since I left that off of, on a previous day. And the word is onorology. What a what onerology. A, onerology. Onerology. So, ology we know from the Greek is the study of. Okay. You know? Okay. Oneron, I believe I'm pronouncing that correction, mm. is means a dream. So it's the study of dreams. Oh. It's a scientific study of dreams. So current research seeks correlations between dreaming and mm. current knowledge about the functions of the brain, as well as understanding of how the brain works during dreaming as it pertains to memory formation and mental disorders. I'll be. We're just really cracking the egg on understanding about neuroscience in the brain. Wow. Yeah. Oh, we're just so much we don't beginning know. in yeah. there. Yeah. When you think about, I, I get a little email every once in a while from a neuro scientist on the brain and he explains things and when you think of it he was explaining vision the other day right about what actually happens and how not how long it takes but the process mm. and when you think the process happens almost instantaneous the complexity mm-hmm. of what we call the human body is just amazing oh yeah yes there's no god though <laughs> Don't get me started. There. I know. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I, I we are I a being, marvelous, and uh, we are marvelous and yeah. wonderfully made. And I was being facetious. I know you were. Okay, just for the record. You <laughs> know, I, when I took physiology, it was like, how can people not think this when I, you get into the complexity right. and how the body works? Yeah. And then I think, okay, people who believe in mm-hmm. we evolve from primor- primordial goo. And that things just, after mm-hmm. millions and billions of right. years, we land where we are. It's kind of like throwing words up yeah. and expecting a Funkin' Wagnalls dictionary to yeah, land. Yeah, yeah, And even that goo had to start somewhere, didn't it? That's correct. Where did the goo start? <laughs> okay, sorry. Patriotism and nationalism. Ooh, should I stand up and salute? You could. Okay. You could. What's the difference? I don't know. Between patriotism and nationalism. I found this. This is an article, folks, and I'm going to read it. Okay, good. Let's go. And it's by a gentleman named Joshua Holzer. And he wrote it in the, it's a commentary that originally appeared in the conversation. And what I find fascinating about this is because sometimes the words are intertwined with each other. And they're not meant to be intertwined. And we hear about we need to be more nationalistic in our, in our country and we need to be more patriotic. So I'm going to read this 
and you follow with me on what's going on. And if you happen to have to turn the radio off or get out of the car or whatever, you can catch this on stlntune.com and I'll post this on this particular show. Okay, good. Okay? All right. So All right. I'm going to read this. During his presidency, Donald Trump said, quote, we're putting America first. We're taking care of ourselves for a change, unquote, and then declared, quote, I'm a nationalist, unquote. In another speech, he stated that under his watch, the U.S. had, quote, embraced the doctrine of patriotism, unquote. Trump is now running for president again. When he announced his candidacy, he stated that he, quote, needs every patriot on board because this is not just a campaign. This is a quest to save our country, unquote. One week later, he dined at Mar-a-Lago with Nick Fuentes, a self-described nationalist who's been banned from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms for using racist and anti-Semitic language. Afterward, Trump confirmed that meeting did not that meeting, but did not denounce Fuentes despite calls for him to do. The words nationalism and patriotism are sometimes used as synonyms, such as when Trump and his supporters described his America First agenda. But many political scientists, including me, this is Joshua Holzer, don't typically see those two terms as equivalent or even compatible. There is a difference, and it's important not just to scholars, but to regular citizens as well. So here you go, folks. A devotion to people. To understand what nationalism is, it's useful to understand what a nation is and isn't. A nation is a group of people who share a history, culture, language, religion, or some combination thereof. A country, which is sometimes called a state in political science terminology, is an area of land that has its own government. A nation-state is a homogeneous political entity mostly comprised of a single nation. Nation-states are rare because nearly every country is home to more than one national group. So one example of a nation-state would be North Korea whereas most, or where almost all residents are ethnic Koreans. So the United States is neither a nation nor a nation state. Rather, it is a country of many different groups of people who have a variety of shared histories, cultures, languages, and religions. Some of the groups, some of those groups are formally recognized by the federal government, such as the Navajo Nation and the Cherokee Nation. Remember, nation is a group of people who share a history, a culture, a language, a religion, or some combination. So the Cherokee Nation, the Navajo Nation, and similarly in Canada, the French-speaking Quebecois are recognized as being a distinct nation within a united Canada. So nationalism is, per one dictionary definition, quote, loyalty and devotion to a nation. Unquote. It is a person's strong affinity for those who share the same history, culture, language, or religion. Scholars understand nationalism as exclusive, boosting one identity group over, and at times in direct opposition to others. So the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, ten of whom were convicted of seditious conspiracy for their role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, are both examples of white nationalist groups, which believe that immigrants and people of color are a threat to their ideals of civilization. According to these, these are according to these definitions here. Okay? Right. okay. President Trump has described the events that took place on January 6, 2021 as having, quote, peacefully and patriotically, unquote. He described those who have been imprisoned as, quote, great patriots, unquote, and has said that he would pardon, 
quote, a large portion of them, unquote, if elected in 2024. Hmm. There are many other nationalisms beyond white nationalism. The Nation of Islam, for instance, is an example of a black nationalist group. The Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center have both characterized it as a black supremacist hate group for its anti-white prejudices. In addition to white and black racial nationalisms, there were also ethnic and linguistic nationalisms, which typically seek greater autonomy for and the eventual independence of certain national groups. Hmm. Examples include the Bloc Québécois, the Scottish Nationalist Party, and the Cymru, the Party of Wales, which are nationalistic political parties that respectively advocate for, I'm going to call it the Quebec people of Quebec, mm-hmm. the Scots of Scotland, and the Welsh of Wales. Okay, so you wow. see the difference between uh-huh. a nation <clears throat> and a country. So now it's a devotion to place. In contrast to nationalism's loyalty for or devotions to one's nation, patriotism is per se the same dictionary, quote, love for or devotion to one's country, unquote. So it comes from the word patriot. So patriotism is love for or devotions to one's country. And the word patriot is traced back to the Greek word patrios, which means of one's father, paternity, patriarchal, In other words, patriotism has historically meant a love for and devotion to one's fatherland or country of origin. Patriotism encompasses devotion to the country as a whole, including all the people who live within it. Mm. Nationalism refers to devotion to only one group of people over all others. An example of patriotism would be Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, in which he recites the first verse of the patriotic song, America, My Country, Tis of Thee. In his letter from the Birmingham jail, King describes nationalistic groups as being made up of people who have lost faith in America. George Orwell, the author of Animal Farm in 1984, describes patriotism as, quote, devotion to a particular place and a particular way of life, unquote. He contrasted that with nationalism, which he describes as, quote, the habit of identifying oneself with a single nation or other unit, placing it beyond good and evil and recognizing no other duty than that of advancing its interest, unquote. So here's the difference now. A stark difference now I'm going to give you between nationalism versus patriotism. Okay, good. All right? Pay attention, everybody. Pay attention here. I'm reading from an article written that appeared in The Conversation by Joshua Holzer. Okay. Adolf Hitler's rise in Germany was accomplished by perverting patriotism and embracing nationalism. According to Charles de Gaulle, who ended up becoming president of France, Mm -hmm. who led free France against Nazi Germany during World War II and later became president, quote, patriotism is when love of your own people comes first, nationalism when hate for other people than your own comes first, unquote. That's Uh, very clear. That's, yeah. That's, the rubber meets the road. I'm going to repeat that. This is from Charles de Gaulle. Patriotism is when love of your own people comes first. Nationalism is when hate for people other than your own comes first. So the tragedy of the Holocaust was rooted in the nationalistic belief that certain groups of people were inferior. While Hitler is particular is a particular e- extreme example, in my own research, not mine, I'm reading an article, as a human rights scholar, I have found that even in contemporary times, countries with nationalistic leaders are more likely to have bad human rights records. After World War II, President Harry Truman signed the Marshall Plan, which would provide post-war aid to Europe. 
The intent of the program was to help European countries, quote, break away from the self-defeating actions of narrow nationalism, unquote. For Truman, putting America first did not mean ex exiting the global stage and sowing division at home with nationalistic actions and rhetoric. Rather, he viewed the, quote, principal concern of the people of the United States, unquote, to be, quote, the creation of conditions of enduring peace throughout the world, unquote. For him, patriotically putting the interests of his country first meant fighting against nationalism. So this view is in line with that of French President Emmanuel Macron, who has stated that, quote, patriotism is the exact opposite of nationalism. Mm. Nationalism, he says, is a betrayal of patriotism. Mm. That article, folks, is entitled, What is the Difference Between Nationalism and Patriotism? And it's by Joshua Holter and appeared in the conversation. Wow. That's... I'm glad you brought it up. The, to just discuss a little bit the difference in the two. We need to have the conversation. I think people confuse them. They do. Well, and I think they deliberately are confused. Ooh. I think they're... And I'm not... Even manipulated, maybe. That's probably a better word yeah. for it. Yeah. They're steered a certain way mm -hmm. that if I use these words and then I also use these words, it sounds like I'm playing. I'm straddling both sides of the fence. Right. You can't straddle both sides of the fence. You're on one side or the mm -hmm. other. There is no up or down. There, it's up or down. There's no middle. No, there isn't. There isn't. It's in or out. You can't stand halfway in a building and halfway out. You're uh -uh. in or you're out. Uh huh. Wow. So I, I mentioned this because we're coming up on another presidential term mm -hmm. and where people are going to throw their hat in the ring and say, I'm this and I'm that and I'm all that in a bag of chips. And it's important to understand the mm -hmm. words have meaning. It's important to understand the words that they use. And sometimes if you're unclear, it's okay to ask, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Because some, frankly, sometimes the people who use the words don't even know what they mean. And please don't buy into, it doesn't matter who I vote for. <laughs> yeah. Please don't buy into that. Some people say, oh, it doesn't matter who I vote for. It's just going to be all messed up anyway. It absolutely matters who you vote yeah, for. Yeah, it does. It really And does. it absolutely matters that you vote. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. Yes. Don't say, what's the point? Because I'm going to get elected anyway, or it doesn't matter how my vote goes, so I'm just right. not going to vote. Don't do that. Yeah. We ought to do a show on voter suppression, too. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's, I'm amazed at how difficult some administrations, some states are making it to get people registered to right. vote. How difficult and what the hurdles are and what the fines are if you're out there trying to help people get registered legally, honestly, and it doesn't work. Well, and things have greatly improved because they used to be horrendous, and we've talked about that on previous shows, yeah. but there is absolutely zero excuse, zero right. excuse for any kind of deliberate kind of blocking people from voting. Mm -hmm. Zero excuse and in you, this day and age. Yeah, and if you want to be a patriot, I think that's the best place to start, voting, like you say. Get out and vote. I don't think that your vote doesn't matter because it does. It does. It does. It does. Oh, I'm only one. Yeah, you're only one. You're only one. Many. <laughs> but so. how many elections were actually uh, won by one vote? Mm -hmm. Many. More than you think. I won my election by 92 votes. That's nothing. And that's not much. No, it's under 100. Come on. That's not much at all. No. 
statistically, that's scary almost. And when you look at the percentage, it's probably a point zero something oh, percent. Yeah, it's not a lot. Yeah, it's not a lot. Your vote matters. It really does count. It does. And even if who you're voting for loses, it still gives a voice. Gives you a voice. People look at that stuff. That's part of being a citizen in this country. Yeah. Is voting. Like when you think what rights you have as a citizen, mm-hmm. that it's actually not the people in D.C. or in Missouri and Jeff City or wherever mm-hmm. capital. You are the government. You are the go- the people. They are the government. And if you don't win by a landslide, it, it, this whole mandate thing, yeah. If you're smart enough, if you're a smart pol- public servant, I want to say, not right. a politician, you look and say, you know what? I just barely won that. I didn't. That means there's a there's a lot of people that don't like me Correct. that don't like what I was saying. Maybe I need to listen to them and see what they're talking about, and maybe I can incorporate that into the plans of what we're going to do going forward. So it ma- it all matters. So many are worried about getting reelected. Yeah, yeah. So words have meaning. Uh huh. Matter of fact, words have meaning in signs. Okay. So this is a sign. This is a real sign, folks. It says Christmas Bazaar and Craft Show. Fight children with diabetes. And underneath, fundraiser. So it's fight children with diabetes. If if a child has diabetes, fight them. (laughs) I don't know what to do. (laughs) It's crazy. That's, That's crazy. That is crazy. So when I was a boy my dad gave me money to go downtown and pay the electric bill but instead I bought raffle tickets Mm -hmm. for a chance to win a new truck yeah I told my dad when I got home and he disciplined me but the next morning in the driveway set a brand new truck we all held each other and cried especially me because it was the truck from the electric company there to turn off the lights (laughs) that's terrible so this is a headline from 1953. Mm-hmm. There'll be no escape in future from telephones. The telephone of the future? Mark R. Sullivan, San Francisco president and director of Pacific Telephone and Telegraph Company, said in an address Thursday night, quote, Just what form the future telephone will take is, of course, pure speculation, but here is my prophecy. In its final development, the telephone will be carried about by the individual, perhaps as we would carry a watch today. It probably will require no dial or equivalent, and I think the users will be able to see each other if they want as they talk. (laughs) Who knows, but what it may actually translate from one language to another. Oh, no. 1953. Wise beyond their years. Oh, my. People who work at McDonald's act like the sauces come out of their wages. Just throw five in the bag and behave. (laughs) Why, Why don't... Oysters donate to charity. We've been talking about charity. Oysters don't donate at all because they're shellfish. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I like that too. Thank you. Mm, okay, here. What did the custodian say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. <laughs> That's a dad joke. I know. I got a million of them. <laughs> Did you know that three dates in a day makes your hair follicles strengthen, prevents hair loss, and promotes fast hair growth due to its iron content? <laughs> it will fulfill your iron deficiency. Obviously, it's not working for me. <laughs> Obviously. The guy with the worst grade should give, get to give a graduation speech also. Let's hear both sides. I like that. That's why not. That's yeah. why. Yeah. 
What does a baby computer call its father? Data. Data? Okay. <laughs> I know. I've been trying not to do any jokes, but I can't help you it. Can't can't help yourself. Uh, uh-uh. Here's some things your mother should have told you. Some of the, these aren't necessarily funny, but take your bananas apart when you get home from the store. If you leave them connected at the stem, they ripen faster. Hmm. Thank you. It's true. Peppers with three bumps on the bottom are sweeter and better for eating, and peppers with four bumps on the bottom are firmer and better for cooking. Who knew this? I didn't. Did Obviously, you? my mom didn't tell me this. Take a bow. Yeah. Okay. Store your open chunks of cheese in aluminum foil. What? They'll stay fresh much longer and not mold. No. Now, I did know this one. Add a teaspoon of water when frying ground beef. It will help pull the grease away from the meat while cooking. Oh, I didn't know that either. That's a good one. Yeah, it is. Wow. Okay, that's good. That's good. Ching, ching. I know it. Let's see. Why are colds bad criminals? Colds? Yeah, a cold. When you get a cold, why is that a bad criminal? It's easy to catch. (laughs) Sometimes the amount of self-control it takes to not say what's on my mind is so exhausting that I need a nap afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Don't do it. You know, sometimes some guys have trouble keeping their pants up. Yeah. They wear them low. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a new style pants, Uh and what it does is... The waist is up at your neck, okay. and right below where, where the the pockets are, mm-hmm. there's sleeves. Ah. So I have a picture of it. Okay. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> That's terrible. All right. That's a foul. You want to hear the foul again? That's a Ooh. foul. Yeah. Did you know 50 years ago there was a fire? This is true. A fire on the sixth floor of a five-acre government records, the St. Louis Records no. Uh, military right. records uh-huh. place out at St. Louis in Overland destroyed 17.5 million personnel records and damaged 6.5 million. Oh, wow. 50 years ago. Wow. Didn't know that. That's 50 years ago. 50 years ago. Okay. What's the easiest way to make a glow worm happy? Light it on fire? Cut off its tail. It'll be delighted. Delighted. And delighting it? All right. What do you call a belt made of watches? Okay. Hang on. Let's see. A belt, belt watches. watches. Time ticker or time? Uh, a waste of time. <laughs> a waste of time. Okay. A waste of time. I know. Hmm. All right. All right. What's the best way to carve wood? With a knife? That's close. Whittle. Whittle wh- away. Whittle by whittle. Whittle by whittle. Okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly I, I know right. It. I know it. Well, we're getting close to the end, I know. Oh. Thank goodness, probably, right? Yeah. Well, what did the teacher do with the student's report on cheese? On cheese? Uh-huh. On cheese. You're a an cheese, old teacher. A cheese report. Yeah, um, a report on cheese. It said it was cheesy. No, she graded it. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. Did. I know. Yeah. How can you just... I pa- could have missed that I one. don't know how you would pass that oh. up. I know it. Let's see. Oh, what did the pirate say when he turned 80? It's 80th birthday. He turned 80. Arg. I'm 80. I'm 80. I'm 80. Okay. (laughs) Had to say it a couple times to get that one. Yeah, that's a strange one we have here. Consider it. I know it. What's 
what's the action like at a circus? Action. Yeah, the A C T I O N. Yeah, what's the action? It's an yeah, action. It's like three three ring circus. Yeah, what's it like? What's that action like? Yeah, it's clowns. Intense. And intense. It's intense. It's intense. intense. Mm. Get that horse out of here, will you please? Yeah. There's a horse in here. Part, or, I know. Part of the it's part there. of the right now. Oh, what do you call? As long as we're talking about horses, what do you call a pony with a sore throat? A pony with a sore throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh, you got to have this one. I know. Pony with a sore throat. Mm-hmm. Come on. I know you. It's okay. Uh, it's no, wait, sore. Hands on those buzzers, please. Yeah. Let's don't see. Hang on, Art. Uh, uh, receive some parting gifts from us. Oh, okay. Right. We'll just quit then. All right. If I'm no, getting no, parting no. gifts. You don't know? You don't. A you, sore throat. A pony sore throat. Uh-huh. I can't find that one I was looking for. It's a, a little horse. Oh, jeez. Okay. All right. Are we? I don't. A pony with a sore throat. It's, it's a little, little horse. horse. It's a little horse. Yes, it is. I have to be in that frame of mind to think. I know about how those. Things it's hard happen. to. Yeah. I know. What kind of a car does an egg drive? Come on, you an know. Egg drive. Yeah. What kind of a, a car? Car. Does a car. What uh, kind of a car does an egg drive? Uh, a Yolks wagon. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. <clears throat> All right. What should a sick bird do? Get tweetment. Especially oh. if it's tweety. That's right. Go get some tweetment. You need some tweetment on that. <laughs> <laughs> that is the zone right there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. Okay. Are we done here? I, I got to be done. Okay. I can't go. Yeah, we've got just moments. Well, folks, we're done. <laughs> So that. it's, that's it for this hour. Thank goodness. We thank you for listening. Yeah. Don't forget when the Martians invade, there's only one race, the human race, and every one of us have different characteristics and is uniquely valuable. St. Louis in Tune is a production of Motif Media Group and the U.S. Radio Network. For St. Louis in Tune, co-host Mark Langston, I'm Arnold Stricker. Remember to walk worthy and let your light shine. <laughs>